I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Early Work. It's the show where I ask famous writers and performers to read me the creative writing from their adolescence. And this week's guest brought with him exactly what I had in mind when I thought of this premise when I was just three years old. It's David Bedeal, and he has some pretty deep, thoughtful, and often meaningless poetry. Yes, finally a direct rival to the Rhys James meaningless poetry empire. Before we get into that, though, we did chat mutual school reviews that changed the game for both of us and the whole school, um, counts of plagiarism from both of us again, and a widely disputed teenage betrayal from none other than Mark Kermode. That wasn't both of us, though. That was just to David Baddiel. Um, plus, we have an actual recording of a song in this episode from one of David's teenage bands, which was frustratingly very good. Not really the idea, David, but I appreciate you wanting to play us that. Um, there's a few echoey bits in this recording which might take you by surprise, but that's the nature of Zoom recordings, isn't it? I suppose. I mean, I'm saying that like we're still in March. We're, this is the only podcast in the world left that still hasn't figured out how to do a successful Zoom recording. But there we go. I mean, if you're the sort of person who's going to let an echo affect your listening experience, if you're the sort of person who can't just hear a couple of sentences with a bit more gravitas than the rest of it, then, frankly... There's about 30 cumulative seconds of this episode that you're not going to enjoy, okay? But I'm sure you'll get through it. We've got through worse. Anyway, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in a good mood. All right, ignore that last bit. I'm in a very good mood. So here we go. This is the early work of David Baddiel. Joining me this week on Early Work uh, is the first guest we've had on this show to have a number one single in fact, multiple times, it is David Baddiel. Hello, David. Hello, Reese. You all right? Not too bad, thank you. Uh, for listeners who don't know, uh, David Baddiel is probably best known for giving me my first acting job off the back of my only ever successful audition. That's correct. Uh, I uh, put you into an unsuccessful sitcom pilot called sit.com, 
Uh, and uh, it was your big break, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well because... it actually, at the time, it, I, it did feel like it. Yeah, but that makes it worse, doesn't it? Because were, you were in it, as were a couple of other people who were quite young and not done that much before. And I feel terrible now about the fact that all of you came to the filming of that wide-eyed and thinking, finally... <laughs> Uh, we, me and Frank Skinner used to have a thing which won't mean anything to you, but when the phone rang, when we, me and Frank Skinner used to live together, Frank always used to say, always pick up the phone, it might be Val calling. And Val was Val Parnell, who in the 1950s used to book Sunday night at the London Palladium. Right? So what Frank meant was, it might be our big break. I mean, this is kind of a strange thing to say because we were doing fantasy football every week at the time. But anyway, so you all came thinking, it's Val has called, that's it, yeah. showbiz door is open. And then it fucking shut because Channel 4 <laughs> didn't pick up the pilot uh, or make that series. So I apologise for that. No, I apologise. Given that it was my only successful audition, uh, I mean, I've done several auditions since then. That was years ago. I think we can conclude that, I, I mean, it's not, you've got two options there. Either I'm bad at auditions or I am a bad actor. Yeah. So I mean, arguably actually, I ruined your sitcom pilot exactly. and that's it's why. possible. That's why it didn't get picked up. 100%. So somewhere there's an email that I didn't see which says, you know, this is great, apart from that young... Yeah. <laughs> and he's it not only... It's, yeah, he's so bad. We're not just going to recast it. We now can't imagine this being good because he has yeah. ruined it to that just extent. Just the whole thing. He's so upsetting. <laughs> no, you were really good at it, um, I think. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well... Uh, one day, <laughs> when we're both dead, perhaps, uh, it will be seen again. Someone will find it. Uh, and it will become a classic. This may not be what your podcast is about, but I often complain about the fact that in 30 years, or whatever it is, probably longer, of being a comedian, I've been cast about three times in mm. something that I haven't just written myself. Uh, I I think I can act, but really, my acting... I think the high point of my acting was about last year or maybe 18 months ago, me and Frank Skinner were asked to do something called the Pension Wise commercial. Uh, which was me and Frank Skinner playing ourselves uh, to advertise how over 50s could find out about pensions. An unbelievably depressing booking that we only took for the money. Um, but Ricky Gervais uh, didn't call me up, I have to be sick of him anyway, said to me, oh yeah, you're really good in that. In that commercial. Wow, that was it. That's Val calling, all because and, of the well, pension. Unfortunately, he then didn't cast me oh, in Ricky, you know, come on, Derek man. or Afterlife or yeah. any of those things. But uh, yeah, no, I, 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 for some reason, I think it's partly because I've always felt as a comedian, certainly the what I do and, and what you do is just be myself. Mm. Uh, and I'm quite good at being myself, but that's limiting as an actor. Because not that many people want to cast David Baddiel in there. Yeah, you, know, you need yeah, a very specific work. part. Well, that's why I i mean, that role in, in your sitcom pilot was, at the time, me. I mean, that's why that's why I actually was successful in that audition and no others. Because it wasn't a huge leap for me to play a sarcastic 21-year-old desperate to go viral. I mean, I was living that life while auditioning for your show. So, I mean, it, yeah, it was pretty perfect. Um but yeah, I mean, well, that's I, I, who I am. That is, uh, as you say, that's what I'm best known for: casting you in a failed pilot. Exactly. Um, and if I had to guess what you were like at school, and I do because it's the first format point of the show, uh, what I've gone for is I've gone early days, very academic, lots of clubs, maybe competitions like spelling bees or even maybe a speaking competition if you had them. But I can imagine you being very focused on work, not really putting your head too far above the parapet in the early days, which meant you sort of blended in at first. But then one day you got sent out of a lesson for something you didn't do. 
But before protesting your innocence, you were clever enough to realise that it might have a net benefit with your classmates to just accept it as though you had been naughty, which gave you an early taste for popularity and fame, which meant you then started getting into pockets of trouble to try and relive the buzz, eventually turning you into a sort of temporary sort of jackass Johnny Knoxville character who might just jump off a climbing frame into a bush to make everyone laugh. And I'm going to boldly predict this led to an ill-advised talent show entry, which maybe put a halt to that feeling. Generally, though, a thoughtful kid in a creative sort of living in your own head way mainly say that because a senior show about your family can imagine you taking yourself off to get away from it all to your room to write things which I think would mean that you were a kid with complete conviction who didn't change their output or persona based on what your classmates would expect of you is any of that correct? Well the question is how much of that is you being Mystic Meg you you just like you know, creating a world somehow through telepathy and how much of that is based on the bits and pieces of me that you sort of know about already? <laughs> well, only really the last... So I can tell you what the, those predictions are based on. So only really the last bit is based on your show, My Family, um, and that is just because... But that's just imagining that world of sort of like slightly chaotic in that house that was also full of memorabilia um, where you're just like, you know, what, I'm going to my own space for a bit. And then... I was sort of similar where I'd just be like, no, I'm just going to my room for a bit. I just need to not be here. And then that's what leads to you going, oh, you know what? I'll, I'll just write something. I'll just draw something or whatever. The only, the other, the jackass Johnny Knoxville thing comes from watching you on Taskmaster and seeing that you very often would just go, what's my first instinct? I'll do something incredibly reckless. Done it. Just get it done. Yeah. And I'm just actually, thinking. That's completely right. as how I approach Taskmaster, except I never thought of it as reckless. Uh, it comes out of a sort of, well, it's a sort of laziness in a way, in that my whole response, even though I am quite an academic bloke and quite, and uh, increasingly think of myself as a sort of intellectual, uh, I also have a weird thing, which is I tend to just say and do all the time the first thing that comes into my head. It's like I can't quite be bothered with the stamina. My wife has said to me, have you ever thought about saying the second thing that comes into your head. <laughs> right? that, that might be helpful for me in life, but I don't. I sort of think of my mind a bit like a squash wall, and there's incoming, and I just bang back whatever comes out of my head, and that has served me well and badly in my life over the years. And certainly in Taskmaster, I just thought, I can't be bothered to think about what complex puzzle Alex Horn has created here, that the right answer is to move right, right. the line very... I just think, well, I'll do this! Right. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah, yeah. in some cases involved, you know, uh, when I couldn't lasso him, I thought, well, obviously I need to tie wooden spoons around the lasso to give it a bit more heft, right? Yeah, and, and, sure. And that led to Greg Davis saying, I think the problem for you is the tasks are quite difficult anyway, and then you have the added problem of being David Baddiel. Right, <laughs> so yeah. That's how Greg Davis <laughs> saw it. But um, in terms of your portrait of me at school, it's not bad. I wasn't really on in loads of clubs. Uh, in fact, I remember at my school... Uh, thinking I was good at chess uh, because I used to play my dad a lot at chess and I didn't really have a sense of like people who are really good at chess and play it all the time will be better than that. Again, it's sort of like not stopping to think about it. So I put myself up for the chess team and they said to me, "How are you good? I said, yeah, I'm pretty good. So they put me on, there were six boards and I think like number one board is like, that's the best player. So they put me on like number two because I'd, you know, I'd really said I was pretty good at chess. And at my school, which uh, secondary school, which was in Elstree, there was a four o'clock coach and a 5.30 coach. And no one in the history of the chess club had ever caught the 5.30 coach because the chess games were at four and went on to like nine because it's proper chess. 
I was out at about 4.15. Yeah. I just lost. <laughs> right? And so, I, I, now I didn't do many clubs. I was, it is true that I was probably pretty academic. I came from, you know, my dad was a working class bloke who had sort of bettered himself by going to university and getting a PhD and my mum's a refugee. So there was quite a strong emphasis on life can be shit unless you work at it. Something my children don't seem to pick up on, I've noticed. They're totally happy to just coast. But I came from a background of like, yeah, it's good to get good results at school. Otherwise, you're likely to have a shit life. So I I did work quite hard. Uh, And then the thing you're absolutely right in, although you haven't quite got, it wasn't a talent show or whatever, uh, was I suddenly, when I was about 16, 15 or 16, switched and became, I never gave up being good at academic stuff, but I was suddenly a bit of a punk. I suddenly wanted to be a bit cooler. I hung around with boys who would smoke, I would smoke too, behind, literally behind bike sheds. Uh, And the key thing is, which I was sort of wondered about leaving to later because it's part of my early work. But I think the key thing was I, for some reason, got to write my school review. And that's sort of like the talent show thing that you're talking about mm. uh, in your guess. Uh, because every year at my school, the Haberdashers Ash Boys School in Elstree, uh, at lunchtime, the sixth form, the, the sixth formers who were leaving, they used to put on a little cabaret show, like a sketch show. Um, and every year, it was shit. It was unbelievably shit. It was at lunchtime. It would run for the week, and it would be, I don't know, I don't even remember songs about school life and little sweet monologues. And it w- I remember it getting booed off one year. Really? Right? Was, yeah. Actually was, booed I mean, off? Yeah, because people, all the school would go and see it, including, like, you know, 14-year-olds who didn't like the older boys anyway, um, because they are probably getting bullied by them. Yeah. Their opportunities to get back at them. <laughs> And so it was just shit, not funny, not well put together, blah. And for reasons that now escape me, because I wasn't like, oh, David Benilli is clearly the funniest bloke in the school. I wasn't. But for some reason, I was the, with another bloke who, uh, called Nick, uh, the main writer of that in the year it came to be us. And a little bit like, I've never thought about this before, but when me and Frank Skinner wrote, many years later, Three Lions, I remember talking about it with him very early on and saying, I think what we should do is try and convey the real experience of being an England fan with these lyrics, as opposed to the lyrics up to now of England songs, which tend to be, we're going to win. They tend to be triumphant this time more than any other time, or back home, they'll be singing about us and all that stuff. It was all like, hey, we're going off to this tournament in Mexico or whatever. We're going to win. No, we're not. Right. That's not true. So three lions, the lyrics are about, they're vulnerable. They're about like, oh, I think we're going to lose, but somehow or other in magical thinking, we think we're not. That's really what those lyrics are. And similarly, when I wrote the school review, I think I said to Nick, let's write what we actually think, which is, we fucking hate that teacher. We fucking hate that teacher. Let's do sketches ripping the piss out of teachers we hate and everyone hates. Like the librarian who purports to be a Christian but is utterly horrible to every single boy who comes in (laughs) and timidly asks for a book. So we had a sketch with the librarian, Mr Cheney. I think he's probably dead, so I think it's probably all right. Mr Cheney, who was, as I say, a sort of hypocritical Christian, he used to have a library assistant who was a young woman. He always had these young women library assistants. And I can't remember the direction of the sketch except... The centre of it was him fucking a blow-up doll library assistant on the photocopier. 
right? Wow. While boys danced around him. Uh, <laughs> and another thing we used to do, and I played this one, I played this one, we had a guy who was head of music, Mr. Taylor, wasn't such a cunt. I don't know how much swearing is allowed on this podcast, but anyway. Oh, do what you want. It's a wasn't podcast. Wasn't much of a cunt as Mr. Cheney, but a bit of a cunt. And he used to come on a, a assembly and, you know, as a Jewish boy, I didn't like this anyway, insist that we sing the Christian hymns much better. Come on, everyone. You're not singing them. Come on, everyone. Sing them. Now, sing up. Sing all that shit. So I played him, except swearing at the at the assembly. So I would say, come on, and say, fucking sing louder. Come on, you twats. You fucking come. Sing louder. Right? That absolutely stormed it, as did Mr. Cheney fucking the library assistant. And it was amazing. It was my first experience of comedy. And I have to tell you, you know, most people's first experience of comedy, I certainly had these experiences later on, are very bad. You know, people like dying terribly and whatever. But it absolutely stormed it. I think because it did that thing of localising, you know, experience. Of like, we're absolutely going to talk about what these people know about and feel. And they were, the kids were amazed. I think they were not expecting, oh, fuck. They've got Mr. Cheney's having sex yeah. with a blow-up doll. That's so exciting. Um, and, of course, what actually happened, this is why it's similar to what you were saying, is I was cool at school for the first time, really. I'd find all that smoking behind the bike sheds with the cool... I hadn't really done it. I was still a bit of a nerd. I was still not really one of them. And then I was cool. In fact, what happened was I got taken to... Did the librarian and all that sort of stuff see this and then go... Yeah, oh, no, I got into incredible trouble. I sort of hadn't thought about that. That's, again, the lack of consequence that goes on with my mind. I did a similar thing, actually, at school, which was we did this sort of review. I was always in these little end-of-term performances or whatever, and it was just the people who did drama, essentially. And we did one where we were... It was kind of end of year 11, maybe, so just after GCSEs, and that was where you do this thing and you're supposed to do a thing that sends up the teachers. And instead, we thought... Because by then, that happened every year, people sent up the teachers. So we thought, oh, you know what, let's do a bit more disarming and let's send up the different stereotypes of students. And so we all played like a different kind of kid. I was like a sort of chavvy one. Um, and then there was people being like, I don't know, just a bit geeky or whatever. It was all these, a bit breakfast clubby. And we did that, but with like actual phrases that certain people had said throughout the years. And then the teachers went on to do their one, which also sends up the students right. and they look so crap because we'd already done it with, with far better observations than them. Did you get into trouble? But they were ex- you can't really get in trouble for that though. Can no, you? exactly. It was the most, it was just, they didn't know what to do because they sort of went on and then, and then what happened is while they were doing this sketch about the students, which they were doing normally as revenge on the teacher's skit, um, it was sort of dying. And then the drama teacher who now was starting to uh, age got heckled by my friend Luke, who just shouted in the middle of this drama teacher's first line, this is my mate Luke just shouted, where's your hairline gone? <laughs> and then this teacher just sort of trying to be, oh, yes, you're well, back here. By the looks <laughs> God, of it. He tried to put him down. And then, yeah, he tried to, well, he, he tried to sort of just like go along with it and just be like, yeah, I suppose I am losing my hair. And then that was the end of term. He came in on the first day of term next year, having shaved his head completely. Really, Absolutely brutal, is, yeah. Uh, in a way, that's tough love at its best. So was that now, your first the... experience in comedy, in live comedy? Kind of, yeah. That and then I did it. Um, I ran for head boy so I could do a solo speech just for the... I wanted to do a speech. And did that was where it? I was like... No, I didn't get it. But the speech was hilarious. I mean, the speech went exceptionally, even though I sort of... 
I was so nervous that I sort of put on this Russell Brand Mockney accent while doing it to a bunch of people who've known me for 15 years. <laughs> so it was really weird. I was like, I did this whole thing. It was Do you like... remember um, the gags from it now? I remember it being, it started with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then a few years later, Dr. Smith created the rotor that suggests who has to clean the kitchenette. It was just like all just stuff like this. Yeah, and then... Um, I just did stuff like that and then I would do I remember saying I would like to propose a toast and coffee area in the court I mean just nonsense terrible stuff and then I plagiarised a Mighty Boosh gag um, which was like in the coffee area we all have and then I was listing all these drinks and I was like maybe a frappuccino all the benefits of a cold drink with a caffeine boost which is a Julian Barrett line from Mighty Boosh and it got a massive laugh and then only one person afterwards was like um, yeah Reese's speech was good but it was just it was just the Mighty Boosh and everyone was like, what's that? <laughs> so I got away with it. But it was only one line anyway. Plagiarism, just while you were talking about plagiarism, not the same sort of, I wasn't plagiarizing the mighty booth or anything, anything like that. But so I think when I was about 15, 14 or 15, we were asked to write a poem. We were studying Jabberwocky in English and our English teacher asked us to go for our homework and write a poem about an imaginary creature that we made up, right? And I, uh, and I didn't do this generally, this was, I don't know why I did this particularly, again it might just have been laziness, uh, found an old poetry book, I haven't been able to find this poem since, although probably if I really put on mind to it I could, found some 19th century poem by someone like Thackeray or Trollope, I know they weren't poets, but who wrote Charge of the Light Brigade? I don't know. I'm gonna. I'll edit in me right. saying the correct okay, answer. Okay, some Victorian poet, whatever, <laughs> uh, had written a poem about a bull, right? Um, about seeing a, a raging bull in a field. And the poet went something like, see the angry, snorting bull, and then a whole load of stuff about that, right? And I made up an animal called a salaki kul. Do you see where I'm going with this? Right? <laughs> yeah. And I literally said, see the... And I used the same scansion, salaki kul, and then just wrote out the rest of the poem, right? Wow. And, no, but then what happened was, uh, I read it out in class. He loved it. Right, he's an English teacher. hadn't he didn't know this poem, this old ninth-century poem. He, I read it out in class, or he, I think he read it out in class in very kind of dramatic tone. And then he said, "This is brilliant." Does anyone have any comments? And Gavin Pride, another boy, put his hand up and said, "Just one thing: Who did he nick it from?" And this is the shameful bit. I just looked pained, and Gavin got into trouble for that. Oh <laughs> my <laughs> god! Amazing. I feel really bad about that. And can I just add a little? extra to that which is Gavin Pride is weirdly in my life on, in an ongoing way he's not at all a friend of mine from school he wasn't even that much a friend of mine at school but uh, a couple about a year later my dad was made redundant when he was 42 uh, he was a he worked for a Unilever as a chemist as a research chemist uh, he was made redundant and he couldn't get another job and he ended up selling dinky toys which was his hobby as his job right and I must have made this known at school in some way because Gavin Pride came up to me and said, oh, my dad's got some dinky toys, just about four dinky toys, and he wants to know how much they're worth. Can you show them to your dad and, you know, let me let him know? I said, yeah, all right. So he gave them to me, these four dinky toys, in a blanket, I remember, and I put them in my locker at school, this is like in the morning, to take home to my dad. Only I didn't. I, some, I think I just left them on top of the lockers, right? Because uh, I was getting other stuff in my locker. I've always been incredibly absent-minded. And they got nicked, right? 
So the next day, I'm I'm upset, and I say I'm really, really sorry. I think I put them on top of the locker instead of in the locker. They got Nick. But Gavin Pride looked at me with a look that totally meant... In fact, he may have basically said it. You showed them to your dad. Your dad said, fucking hell, these are worth, you know, 10,000 quid. Just tell this bloke that you've lost them. I'll sell them. That'll be good. We haven't got much money. That'll be great. That's what you've done, isn't it? And I could tell that's what he was thinking. And I, th- and I just thought, that isn't what happened. I don't know how to tell him. That isn't what happened. Anyway, the point about this story is, cut to, I don't know, 1997. I'm on Richard and Judy this morning with Richard <laughs> and Judy. I know you're young, but you'll perhaps remember that, right? I'm aware of that, yeah. yeah I tell this story. I don't know why. I don't know how it came up. I tell this story. I'm on Richard Judy again about three months later, and they say, we have to stop you. You came on here a little while ago. You told this story about Gavin Pride and the toys. We've got Gavin Pride. He lives in the Bahamas now. He's on. He's oh online now, God. live link from the Bahamas, and he forgives you. Right? But, <laughs> but they've created this whole redemption arc for me with Gavin Pride, which is amazing. And, he did, and I chatted to him. I told him that that's what... I thought he thought he admitted he did think that, but it was all right now. Wow. Um, I don't know the chronology of those events, but if that toy thing happened first, no wonder the second you read out a poem, he goes, who's he nicked that from? (laughs) (laughs) All he sees you as is a thief. That's absolutely true. You know what? I don't know either. I can't now remember. I think think you're right. I think the toy thing did happen first. Someone gave him that poem to show his dad and he just pocketed that and thought, no, I'm having that for English. This is my book. I mean, you can't see because it's an audio podcast, but this is my book of poetry. When I took po- my own poems rather than ones I'd nicked from Victorians. Seriously. Right, yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't, there's a lot of poems in it. Um, and I don't know... I mean, I can read out a little, some of them. Yes, please. I would love to hear them. They're very serious. Are they? So what was your... Why were you writing poems at this time? Were you just... You know, you just wanted some sort of creative outlet? Were you heartbroken? Were you just into poetry? All those things. But, yeah, no, I like poetry. But more importantly, I think I thought of myself as deep and thoughtful mm. and the rest of it. And, of course, I was yet to have sex. Um, mm. That's the really key thing. And so I, without thinking it, I wouldn't know this at the time, but I think I know it now, is that all of these very deep poems could be boiled down to please someone have sex with me. <laughs> Right, okay. Well, that's going to bode well for um, part of the scoring system on this podcast, right? which is pure teen horniness. I'm sure that you're going to score pretty highly in that category Yeah, well, it with does, that bit I mean, of background. I'm, not, I'm saying that they don't, they're not like obviously about that, but I feel now that they, the, the, the way they get there is, via, is not like, oh, here's a poem about how much I love a woman, although there are a couple of it like that, but there's more like the vector is, I am really deep and interesting and poetic. Please have sex with me. Yeah, okay, right, right, right. So, look, I mean, so, look how... Yeah, it's a bit more subtle. There's a few more steps to it. Yeah, it's not like, oh, I love you, you know, you're you're the greatest, blah, blah. It's not like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's much more, once you realise my inner depths, you'll want to take my penis out. Uh, so uh, <laughs> this one, for example, this is just the first one in it. Uh, rather interestingly, weirdly, I think of myself as David, right? A few people call me Dave, but I think of myself as David. But I've written poetry... Dave Badil. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would never, I would never think of you as Dave Baddiel, but maybe that's it. Maybe that's your alias as a poet. Well, no, but it's not though, is it? Like the one thing, like I don't think of myself as Dave. Uh, occasionally, I'm with builders, and they might call You're me right. Dave, and I, I, I accept it and embrace it. But if I'm trying to be, you know, T. S. Eliot. Why am I calling mm. myself Dave? It is, yeah, it is the wrong way around. Dave, Dave Baddiel is more of the comedian, and yeah. then David Baddiel should be the art house yeah. poet. The person who wrote this, beret. Reflections. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Reflections. I want to feel death pull cloudy rank on me. It makes me cry to see her laugh. Oh, my brothers, I have much to thank you for. I shall judge my state of mind by grime in the tears, like urchins, outpourings of a dirty soul. But my thoughts are clouded by cobwebs on my face, a face of meat, stodgy with suicide. I mean, I should make it clear. I have no thoughts ever of killing myself. Wow, stodgy of suicide. Stodgy with suicide. Uh, A bubble frayed at the edges, opened out in jigsaw droplets that are pink and do ache. Sweet angels dancing rhapsody on my contorted features. It is as some bird that booms and bursts across a gutted skull, a warm blanket from a soggy sky. And I shall strike... Is it strike? No. I shall stride over lamenting... What what the fuck is that word? Swans? Don't know. And dance and sing and grin again. Idiot goblin me, look at me. I'm a parachute. October 1980. Wow. I mean, I don't get embarrassed by much, but I could feel myself getting embarrassed as I... I haven't read that out loud ever. That's what this podcast is for. That's like me cruelly making comedians do that. Yeah. Um, As far as opening lines go to a poem, I want to feel death is definitely up there with uh, the heights of deep teenage poetry. Just go, what's, what's a shortcut? to what I'm trying to get across here, which is just, I'm sad. It might as well start, I feel sad. (laughs) But not just, I want to feel death. I'm sad, which I probably was, but actually, I have been depressed in my life. Like, properly, clinically depressed in my 30s and stuff. And I was not properly depressed, I now realise, when I was 15 or 16. I mean, you know, there were things that were very kind of difficult in my home life and whatever but I was fine really I mainly just didn't have a girlfriend yeah and I think when you like if you come from a different background maybe like not having a girlfriend you go you think like well I'll be you know really flash right or great uh, this is going to sound a bit patronising towards the working classes, but I don't know. Like, I'm going to be really flash or I'm going to be brilliant at football or, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever. Uh, but I, I didn't have access to that much of that sort of thing. Wasn't Was never going to be that good at football that I could pull women with it or whatever. Um, not going to be a great dancer <laughs> or anything like that. <laughs> so uh, I had this. I, had, I, was, I liked poetry and I thought somehow that depth would do it. And mm. that's what it is, really. It's like, what's the shortest cut to depth? Talking about death. That's in- yeah. instant gravitas. Yeah, it's immediately serious. Uh, I was exactly the same as you that just described, where I was like, what do I have? I became obsessed for years from about the age of 15 to 18 with being an enigma. Yes. I was just like, I was obsessed with the idea of, I just need to be an enigma. And nothing 
is less enigmatic than someone trying to be an enigma <laughs> as you try and sort of like swan into rooms and then wait for people to notice you and then kind of dismiss it. No one, no one ever looks at you. Did you ever do a thing? I actually did a thing. There was a girl I really fancied in Birmingham because I was part of this Jewish youth group called Hub on Him. So I had sort of girls up and down the country that I fancied who were not getting off with me. Um, and uh, I remember being near her and just doing this thing of sort of looking into the far distance, sort of not really looking at her and looking like I was really thinking about something over there. But I wasn't. I was just thinking, yeah. how can I look like an enigma like you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How can I look like I'm not at all interested in what's in front of me? Yeah. Um, I'm, oh, what must he be thinking about? Yeah, exactly. And really, that, they're yeah, just thinking, yeah. oh, this guy's rude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's absolutely right. You are thinking... They're thinking, what must he be thinking about? Yeah. It's an endless loop of nothingness. I'm just, yeah, if, when I remember just being like, because I, I sort of quite openly was would write stuff and poems and stuff like that. It wasn't a secret that I was doing that. So, I mean, it, immediately being an enigma Did is have, out the window. I had some published in the school magazine. Really? Yeah, that's embarrassing. Interesting. In fact, I can't remember which, I think there were two. One of them, I do remember, is this one, which I thought of as one of my mag one of my greatest poems but it's a short poem and i can actually give you a little i can sort of remember the literary deconstruction of this because one of the things about the poems of course is they're not clear like you know the, the last thing they are is a description of a bull you know by okay. now they're, they're very very <laughs> symbolic and whatever so this one's called lipstick and eyeliner right melancholic stared out of a window thought i hate mankind realized misanthrope and laughed. I almost broke all the windows in my house. Okay. Wow. I mean, I think I do need some uh, literary explanation. Well, my memory of, of it is, because it's called Lipstick and Eyeliner, which probably was just because, again, I fancied some women who wore those things. But in my mind, that's that's the triangle of a face, right? The lips and the eyes, right? Um, and so this is supposed to be a portrait of sort of a depressed person. I hate mankind realizing what the word is for that and who they are and that shows them you know it shows who they really are this terrible misanthropic person through this frame of the window so i, I can't believe i'm now talking about it like it is wow. like yeah like, no 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 <laughs> i mean I, yeah to be fair so that's... the window has to be smashed so no one could see the real me oh my god look i just want to say for any previous guests on this show you're a fucking embarrassment for not going into this level of depth, okay? You didn't understand what your poems are about. I didn't understand them. This level of, like, actually intentions. That's what's rare with early work, is that most of it, I find, is just pretty empty. Particularly my own poems I read on here. They just sound good. But they're pretty empty, really. And if you actually go, what did you mean by that word? It's like, well, I actually don't know what that word means now. So it just scanned perfectly and sounded great with a Trust rhyme. Trust me, that's still the main point. Like, certainly when I was reading out that previous one... And, and all of these ones, I, I, it's music. It's basically... Well, I would say, just to compare them, is that second one with all that analysis. And by the way, Lipstick and Eyeliner as a title has been noted for the horniness score to Good. come. Um, but all that language and the symbolism and the metaphors in there. And then in the last poem, you just had a line, Idiot Goblin Me. <laughs> 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 With all this, I want to feel death. I'm an idiot goblin. I mean, it's per the, the contrast is perfect. Yeah, I should say, by the way, that another thing about me at this time, which is probably important with the lines like idiot goblin, is that I wanted to be a punk rocker, 
which is like 1977, 78, um, when I'm 14. Uh, but I, my mate Dave, who I was in a band with, and I have got some examples of that band, uh, he played me Genesis. Uh, he played me Wind and Wuthering by Genesis, and I really liked it. Uh, and that was awful that I really liked it and became a Genesis fan because they were probably the least fashionable band uh, in 1978 <laughs> you could possibly like. And so I had to be in the closet as a Genesis fan at the time, but probably lines like Idiot Goblin Me. Uh, it's not actually a Peter Gabriel line, but it could be. Right, right, right. So that's the influence. Is there, so, what, so that's the influence on lines like that. Is there a influence uh, artistically on the other stuff like lines like I Want to Feel Death? and Dirty Soul and stuff like that, Stodgy with Suicide. Stodgy with Suicide. I think that just is... Uh, I, don't think, I don't know if there's a literary influence. I mean, I guess you possibly Sylvia Plath, um, who is the only poet I can think of that I would have known at the time, who was actually writing about depression. Um, mm. But I think mainly it was... Yeah, it was something I really don't think now, having, having uh, experienced it, depression is cool. Depression is, you know, makes people think you have depth and uh, and you're interesting and, and artistic and a poet. Uh, and real depression is nothing like that. It's just a really fucking horrible feeling of like, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to do anything, you know. Um, yeah, I definitely spent those years, those teenage years thinking depression was cool and a sign of intelligence. Yes, a sign of intelligence. So wrong. But I think when you're a teenager, certainly like us, uh, you think, yeah, I, I want to be someone who people wonder about. Uh, and that's one of the things. Is like, oh, he's really sad. What? Why? Mm. But they're not thinking oh. that. They're just thinking you're a bit annoying. He's not a laugh. Yeah, he's not. <laughs> yeah. Don't invite him. Can we have another one before I get oh, into yes. the scoring? I mean, there's music uh, and stuff to think about, which would have involved writing lyrics that might be poetical. Um... Okay, uh, Okay, this is terrible. But it's terrible because it's called Cocoon and it begins, The Poet Dreams. <laughs> Face forward to the screen and women dance, fading to the music of ships on a silent shore. The Mayflower cracked and resides in the bottom of a well, moving upwards to orange. That means nothing. Moving upwards to orange definitely means nothing. I remember... Barefoot and paddled, ad- avalanches of sand that absorb the sea. I remember dandelions that lay in widespread gutters, wet with the ash and rubble of widespread crumbling towers. That's terrible. Lap, lap, lap. Lap, lap, lap. Fucking <laughs> Tongue lolling from out of a bud's bed. Right? Like damp socks on a washing line. Salt water and soundlessness. Outline of a hungry poet against a thin storm. It goes on for ages, this. Uh, happy... Im- oh, actually, right. Sh- do you want to hear the whole thing? Or yes, I cut- please. No, you do. Okay. Uh, happy in my marketplace, wondered where the pictures were, swapping blank emotion for stepping stones, bathed in the glory of a soft mirage. It lifts me here, cushioned and strolling. Mild breezes blow s- blue strands of clutching hair across my face, relaxed and warm. <laughs> oh, God, this line is embarrassing. Leave me to my images of beauty. No, after the fantasy, the mess. That's fairly true. 
Uh, broken with a dart, shattered into fragments of spiked triangle, raining sharp cuts that glitter and fall, that smear scars, that are remains of a gaseous inside. Everything is ruined. Now there is nowhere. Cocoon, portrait of an afternoon. I remember serenity embodied in the voice of a woman. Now that last bit, right? <laughs> that last bit. T.S. Eliot was great with allusions like he would say something and then our teacher would say well actually this is a reference to Shakespeare or Thomas Kidd or something I don't know and he's full of allusions or whatever that is an allusion to a comic called New Gods that was the comic that I really liked um, Jack Kirby comic and New Gods begins with someone saying I remember serenity embodied in the voice of a woman um, and uh, so it wasn't as posh a reference as it should have been for a poem. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds incredibly deep and it's just... It's, just, it's from a comic. There's a line from it's a comic. Really it's basically from something a bit like Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, you've essentially said, with great power comes yeah. great responsibility yeah. at the end of that yeah. poem. Yeah, although, you know what? <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. And indeed, I remember Serenity embodied in a voice of a woman. I now think those are great. Do you know what I mean? Mm. There's probably a time... When I, when I would think, like, oh, no, that's wrong. And why did I do that? Because, like, that's not high enough for me as a poet. But now I think those things are as good art as anything else. You know? Of course. Uh, there's some sexual stuff in that you know, loads, poem. Yeah. Women dance. Um, there's something inherently sexual about lap, lap, lap. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'd gone and, for uh, a big maritime thing, which, frankly, was not I know, part of yeah. my life. There's no... Yeah, yeah, I know. It is weird. It's very old, waving off an old ship kind of vibes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was a kind of Founding Fathers of America vibe going on with the Mayflower. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, I was as landlocked a person as I could possibly be. But also, of course, after the fantasy, the mess. Yeah, that's straightforward. You know what? I actually think that was about wanking. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think that's meant to be symbolic. I think in the middle of that poem <laughs> full of shit six form symbolism there's a straightforward summing up just, of what wanking is like and then just wanking yeah. so I was in loads of bands and um, probably some of my lyrics I can't remember all of them or any of them uh, really were like quite bad in a slightly different embarrassing way than the poetry because I don't remember them being so deep but I do remember I was in a band at school called the Scarp Spark Plugs uh, and one of my songs is called Singing the Blues Again and I think, I, as a Jewish, you know, 15-year-old from northwest London, although I was sad, as we know from my poetry, I think probably the idea of me singing the blues was incongruous, to say the least. Of uh, course. I can't remember anything about the lyrics, lyrics, except the chorus was definitely singing the blues again. Um, that band, uh, at school, uh, I was with Mark Commode, you know, the... Um, uh, yeah. The film critic and Mark disputes this in his book about being in bands. He wrote, he wrote a whole book about trying to be a pop star and failing. Uh, but I, my memory is that I wrote "Singing the Blues Again" and maybe a couple of other songs for the Spark Plugs. Mark was the singer, I was guitar, backing vocals. Uh, and then one day he said to me, "I think it's not working. I think the band's going to split up." I said, "All right then." Quite sad about it. Next day, I came to school. They'd formed another band without me. Oh, no. The same oh, members. Oh, God, it's the worst nightmare. And what he claims that didn't happen. He claims that's not what happened. But I, if you actually look at his book, you'll find he is in bands with the same people without me in an ongoing way. So maybe it wasn't the next day. 
But definitely, that was how I got chucked out of the spark plugs, yeah. Thank God they didn't go on to be hugely successful. I was in another band where nothing like that happened, nothing bad happened like that with a guy who did go on to be a pop star. I mean, not really a pop star, an indie star in the 90s. Uh, and he's my my oldest mate, in fact. He's called Dave Gavrin, uh, and he is the guitarist and with the Sundays, who you may not have heard of because you're that young, but they were <laughs> on the cover of the NME uh, in 1990. Uh, they were a kind of huge thing for as an indie band, and they did three brilliant albums. Uh, and then decided they didn't want to do it anymore um, in a kind of we-don't-like-fame way. Uh, but uh, he was the guitarist and sort of main musical inspiration of a band I was in called The Odd. Uh, and I've got some music that we did. We went into the studio and recorded two tracks that were I think we had on vinyl. Wow. Do you want to hear one? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Have you I got mean, them? You know what? They're not that shit. That's the only thing for this comedy podcast. I mean... Sort of shit. You know what? Every now and then people come on and they do something genuinely impressive, and it is nice to up the ante a little bit on this podcast because okay. too well, often. I mean, I don't know that I'm being impressed. I'm playing on it, but uh, it's Dave who's really. Imp- I mean, it's very eighties. Stone. Very nice, very nice. Is that and that's Mark Kermode singing? Is no, it? no, no. That's Dave Gavrin singing. It does occur to me that he might hate me for doing this because he's like a proper musician. Uh, but I think it's pretty good. I, when I listen to Colder Stone, I get goose pimples immediately because it does really? remind me unbelievably of being sixteen. Um, well, well, it, it comes to the time where I've got to score your work. Okay. Uh, I think I've got a good back catalogue that I can judge it on. So there's three categories I score it on. Each one's out of five. The first one is um, originality. Uh, now, poetry-wise, there's definitely there's definitely some real original elements to those deep poems, um, but there's also some very unoriginal elements to them. <laughs> so there's certain things like, um, you know, I want to feel death, the poet dreams, stuff like that, that make me think... Oh, you know, but idiot goblin me within that poem, stodgy with suicide, things like this. I I haven't heard that before. A, a bubble frayed. I can't even imagine a bubble fraying. So it, there is originality in it in places. Um, then again, you're let down by lines like I hate mankind <laughs> as a teenager. So I think I've got to go for a three out of five. Is that original or is that just shit? It, it's original. It does sound like a slogan for a mobile phone network um yeah if you want to upgrade from yeah 
Uh, I'll go through I think three out of five is the reasonable score for originality Um, the next category is pure teen horniness yeah Uh, now I would say that the pure teen horniness ometer is basically broken Um, it's off the charts a lot of this stuff there is just as you say it's you said you did warn us it was going to be subtler than you may think but then even still lipstick and eyeliner as a title uh women dance is one of the opening the, the poet dreams women dance <laughs> um uh, after the fantasy the mess you literally said it's a it's basically a wanking joke so i've you know what i think it's got to be a five out of five yeah it's I, hard I, to i mean there are actually others that i didn't read that i think are about women uh, but i think that's enough yeah, I think we've already got a picture, so I'm going to go five out of five for pure teen horniness. Uh, and then the last one is Mickey Mouse Club, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Goose score. Now, this is how much how much potential does it show for who you are now? So what does this writing represent the star that we now know you to be? And what I would say is the poetry, possibly not. There's elements of it that do. There is actual depth occasionally in the poetry and seriousness. There's not really the undercutting very often. Is that, I mean, but, to be honest with you, they don't show much of a comedy mind. But I, what I wasn't doing was incorporating the comic muse. Overall, I'll go three out of five for uh, Mickey Mouse Club score, uh, which gives you 11 out of 15 as a total score. That's very respectable. Okay. It's a solid, solid score. Thanks. I'm um, pleased with that. And now it comes to the time where I will read you something of mine, uh, which you can score in return to level the playing field. Now this... If you've done this podcast for a while, you must have quite a lot of material. Yeah, this is uh, in the t- we're in the twenties of episodes now, and I've read at least one thing per episode. I am beginning to run out, and what happens is I'm beginning to get closer to the stuff that I was hoping never to have to read. <laughs> um, but the podcast got recommissioned, so here we are. This one's a short one. Um, this I was sixteen, and I began to dabble in what I thought might be witty poems. But I think this isn't. This doesn't really land. But this is called um, evolution. If Eve is quite greatly my grandma, and Adam the male in the pair, if the temptress snake, a family pet, could prove that he were even there, if that tree with the apples was willow, and that fruit was forbidden or rare, if the Lord took six days of creation for each equal child to share, if the Bible were proven so sure, if footage and not just a page, if non-fiction thus not to ignore, then science would scrape little wage. (laughs) (laughs) Right, well... Here's the thing about that, right? You've moved on from I'm an enigma to I'm a cunt. <laughs> yeah, done. fair that enough. Is, I can't deny that. That is such a... I, I'm so clever. I'm so clever and funny. Listen to this. La, 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 la. Because after about six lines, I couldn't, couldn't make a head or tail. It was just literally no, you go, tra, la, 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 la. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to drivel that. And it's... I mean, oh god, yeah, it's so it makes no sense. Also, yeah. just like, oh, you're talking about religion, are you? Because you're 16 and you're saying religion's all bollocks. Yeah. Oh, well done, mate. It's a satire. Yeah, it's also like it's almost a parody of a 16 year old's poem. I mean, well, I I think it's. I mean, actually, I think it's quite good as well as being quite cunty. Uh, you know, that's possible to be both <laughs> those things. Which is that I think you know it's light verse isn't it? Which is quite unusual for a 16-year-old to write because it's not trying to be really heavy. It is saying I'm very clever. That's what's mm. come to you about it. But it is at least trying to be humorous and also, in terms of metre and rhyme, it's really good. I mean, that's one of the well, things that's also come to you about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I've actually put some thought into yeah, the I mean, like, One of the things about of the David thing. Brent is 
when he sings a song, and this is, I think, a brilliant thing that's right about him, it's not shit. Right? Mm. He's clearly can sing, can play the guitar, he's really thought about the lyrics, and they're still appalling and embarrassing, but not just because they're sort of rubbish, because they're crafted. Right, mm. and, and that means he put time and energy and thought into it. And that's a bit like what I'm thinking with that poem. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I'm really trying. Yeah, you're I'm really, really trying, trying very hard and it's not necessarily working. Okay, so how about the scores? We'll go number one is originality out of five. Okay, originality. I'm going to... Okay, so it's not incredibly original as an idea, I think. Idea about writing a poem about the silliness of religion. That's probably been done before. And the style of it is very light verse, sort of Edward Lear or, or something like that. But I'm going to give it a three on the basis that I don't think it's... It's not the most obvious teenage piece of poetry. I see what you're saying about, like, I was an atheist and I wanted to say, shut up, you idiots. And, yeah, mm. that's quite teenage. But my sense of teenage poetry is I want to feel death pull cloudy rank on me. Uh, yeah. And just because it's not that, and, and it's sort of upbeat in a weird way. Uh, I'm going to give it three as, as okay. a more, in my mind, more original than that. Perfect. Okay. Pure teen horniness. You know what? I'm going to give it a low mark for horniness, even though I assume everything that one does when one is 16 is showing off to girls. Uh, and that is a show off poem. It's yeah. saying, you know, not only am I clever and rejecting of God and stuff like that, I can also create a really complicated rhyme and meter bit of verse. Aha, uh, sleep with me. But I think that at the same time, it's such an unsexy poem. So I'm, I'm sorry, I'm only giving it one. Yeah, okay. Okay. And Mickey Mouse Club, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Goose School. How, how close is it to my work now? Does it show the potential of who you know me to be? I, I actually think it does a bit because... Even though it's... I know I've said cunty a lot, and I'm sorry if that's a problem for the podcast, but it is. It's a very annoying poem. <laughs> right? Yeah. But it is a clever poem. It's The words are very clever. The music in it's clever. I mean, I'm being unfair to it in a way, because I think if I came across that poem in a book by, say, Norman Lear... Do you know Norman Lear? He wrote mm-hmm. sort of slightly nonsense verse, uh, but or slightly satirical verse, or E.E. E. Cummings or someone like that. That is a bit high E.E. Cummings was a great poet but anyway if I came across that poem as a lesser poem right, in a, by someone who wrote that kind of verse I probably wouldn't think oh you know this is shit how, how did they I'd probably think yeah that's one of those poems so from that point of view I think it shows someone who can work with words who is at least trying to be funny I'll be no. honest with you I didn't get any really big laughs out of it uh, no. If you can you imagine I mean, the laugh that somebody really laughed yeah, at moment would yeah, get? Yeah, yeah. It would be No one is yeah. It would be oh god. No one is reading like that and ending and going. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that is, that would be absolutely insane. So it's just a very much oh very good. No, if so you imagine your much, biggest oh, very good. Yeah, exactly. It's an oh very good raised eyebrow. So that's not who you are. Because I think of you as a you know stand up who gets proper laughs and not those laughs, but it still is sort of funny, yeah, or at least an attempt to be funny. Three, so I'm okay. Give it so that gives my, me a seven. Again. So I've got a seven out of fifteen. Okay. Um, you've got eleven, which means that technically you win the episode. But as ever, you know what? I'm quite happy with that. You lost on horniness. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mind losing the horniness score. Um, and there are no winners on this podcast anyway, David. The message of the podcast is we're both losers. That's the whole point. So now it just comes to the point where 
you play us out with the final piece. Okay, I'm actually going to play you out with music. I think you might put music under it, which won't work. So, but oh, we d- no. If you've already got music, we'll just you can just play us out. Okay. Well, I, I would say this this piece of music is a musical version of the serious-minded poet that I wanted to be. Right. Um, but here's the interesting thing. I've already said, and we've talked a lot about how that serious-minded poet was essentially saying, "Please, ladies, please, girls, have some interest in me." And this actually led to that, right? So I was in this thing, I've mentioned it already, called Hub On It, which is a Jewish scouts movement, essentially. Uh, and we used to meet uh, every week, but also go to camps. Uh, and there'd be girls of my own age at this camp, and all of them would be rigorously not interested in me. Partly because <laughs> I was always the youngest one at the camp because of the way the years were structured. Um, and so one of them was called Cheryl Bretman. Anyway, look... At the end of the camp, we would do little shows, right? And I think I was probably 14, and I could play the guitar, and I played this. Hang on, I got it wrong. out of tune but it was a rather beautiful I think a uh, bit of pseudo classical guitar that I made up it went on a bit it went on longer than that anyway so I played it went alright it was supposed to be I would say a musical version of Take Me Seriously I'm Emotional I'm a Serious Person then I'm at my bunk bed and Cheryl Bretman who is the one that everyone fancies who I've never spoken to comes up to me and says can you teach me how to play that and I thought, yeah, all right. And I said, do you play the guitar? She said, no, never played the guitar, right? Now, it's not wildly difficult, but you can't play that if you've never played the guitar. Yeah. But nonetheless, I tried to teach her it for about two hours, getting quite late into the night. Then suddenly she gets up and just leaves, slightly pissed off. About a year later... I was in a show, a touring show that Hubbardim put on uh, to mark 50 years of Hubbardim. I was in the band playing the bongos in that show. <laughs> and a guy called Howard Bernstein, who is now more well known as the uh, sort of DJ Howie B, I was sleeping in, on the floor of his house. And he said, oh, Cheryl Bretman really fancied you after you played the guitar that time. I said, what? He said, yeah, yeah, she really fancied you, but you didn't seem to be very interested. And here's the incredible thing. Everything I was doing then was about trying to get off with someone. She was the most fancied person in my main social group, Harmonium. I didn't realise that's really what she was. Because, of course, she wasn't going to learn how to play the guitar in two hours. But I, it mm. didn't... I mean, actually, that speaks of my low self-esteem. Because it just didn't occur to me for a second that that's what she wanted. And here's the truth, Reese. I honestly believe that if I had got off with Cheryl that night, my whole life would have been different. Yeah, of course. Oh, it really would. Because I would have gone up about 27 places in the fanciability stakes of my friendship group. Because you only really became a fanciable person in that group, which is true, I think, for everyone still, unless some other girl gave you the stamp of approval, some important girl said, yeah, it's all right to get off with him because I quite, I got off with him. I quite fancy him, right? So I would suddenly have been quite a player, which I wasn't for another two years, and then ended up going out with someone for years because I was so excited to go out with anyone, right? But I, I would be with other people. 
my whole life would have been different. Now, to be fair, I've had quite a good life, so I shouldn't really be saying this, but a tiny part of me does wonder, if I'd got off with Cheryl Bretman, what would my life have been like? Oh, there's no need to have ever done a gig. You wouldn't have. There's no need to have ever <laughs> done anything creative ever again. When you tell me, you told me what your inspiration was to be creative all the time was these poems, and then everything else beyond that was just make someone fancy me. It turned out it worked. It actually worked to the most, the the highest degree it could work to. You didn't know. I didn't realise. <laughs> so this endeavour all felt pointless to you, even though it hadn't been. It was a success, and then you had to continue to the point where you are now i know it's amazing to me now it's amazing i mean i was to be fair to myself a child still even though i desperately wanted to go because i was 14 um and i was the youngest person there and so i yeah what's most amazing of all of it is the fact that there's the the cliche of just silently playing a guitar is something that actually works. Yeah, it actually works. But here's the thing, right? I sort of vaguely remember by the flickering light of Hubbardin Winter Camp 1978 or whatever it was, me doing this, saying, OK, well, this is it. Right, and her picking up the guitar when I hand it to her, just going... And just being shit. And me thinking, well, this is never going to work. There it was, David Baddiel's early work. A pretty unique approach to the final piece to play us out, a small guitar riff, and then an anecdote about how everything might have been different if he'd got off with someone. Stodgy with suicide, that will live long in the memory, as will moving upwards to orange, and crucially, idiot goblin me. I mean, that's not a bad phrase to have in mind if you rewatch Taskmaster. You know, if they watch the series, David, I mean, no disrespect to David, but I'm surprised Greg Davies didn't use that phrase in some of his feedback. Uh, David's new kids' novel, Future Friend, is out now if you happen to be a parent or a child or a creep. His tour show, Trolls Not the Dolls, will be happening eventually, so go to davidbadil.com for information on when that will be. His shows are always exceptional, so do uh, check them out. Thanks for listening. Uh, as ever, please do leave a review. If you enjoyed it, it very much helps. Um, please do click subscribe to the podcast. Uh, tell your driving instructor or your wet nurse about it and just generally continue to be a good citizen. Unless you don't fancy it, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.